You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. Call me Woodcock. Reynolds Woodcock. Is that maybe the best character name we've had on a on a PTA film? I I think I think I so allegedly the movie's like inspired by this guy named Charles James. Mm-hmm. And my theory is is that first draft, second draft, he wrote the movie and his name was Charles James. And yeah. he just he's like well, I can't name him that. <laughs> I gotta think of something. <laughs> And then one day he's sitting in his little office and like TCM is on is on the TV mm-hmm. and he's like got a cigarette and then he hits you know the search and replace and he just goes he just types those words Woodcock mm-hmm. and then he just laughed for three hours and then just works from there he's like what's a name that goes <laughs> perfectly with Woodcock Reynolds <laughs> <laughs> yes Reynolds. Woodcock. And it could go either way. His name could also be Woodcock Reynolds, and it would still be Dope as F. That's true. Or Dope F. Dope F. <sighs> All right. Uh, here we are. Welcome back to another film podcast. And we are uh, here talking to you. Welcome back to another Woodcock podcast. <laughs> We're the official podcast of uh, Phantom Thread. If you use our promo code, uh, go to blueapron.com slash woodcock, you'll get $30 off your first order. (laughs) (laughs) And don't don't forget to get our our, uh, Funko subscription woodcock box. Yeah. Oh, Uh, could you imagine? The first first thing I did was uh, I grabbed a bunch of screen grabs from the trailer and Mm -hmm. sent them to Funko, and I said, when's this coming? (laughs) 
<laughs> I like. Could you, do you even imagine uh, a Paul Sunday Funko Pop? How perfect that would be! Oh my god! Like with his little hair. Yeah. Like, hold, like holding a Bible. Hands. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! They'll never do it. No, it would never get done. But I mean, a Daniel Plainview one would be like the cream of the crop. But uh, you know, we can dream. That would be amazing if they had like a variant where he's he's got like that gray cardigan on mm-hmm. and his hair is all greasy and he's got and the his, bloody like, bowling pin in his hand up. yeah and he's just holding like a piece of gnarled steak in one <laughs> hand <laughs> oh i would i would throw down some cat i would go to comic-con just to get that exclusive and then there's like the muddy paul sunday variant from being humiliated that's the yeah, we should that's the barnes and noble exclusive one <laughs> we, should, <laughs> we should um you know how, um, who, uh, like, like Paramount had their own subsidiary, like Paramount Vantage mm-hmm. for all like their indie stuff. We we should uh, we should create Art House Funko. Oh, where we just like just personally like, modify Funko Pops and resell. Yeah, <laughs> we we create our own line of like Art House stuff, and we don't make a lot of it, but enough that we know like nerdy ass cinephiles mm-hmm. would, would buy them. Yeah, like uh, you make a seventh seal one that's just it's black and white, and it's a, the dude with the chessboard. Exactly. Um, and and then like all the Citizen Kane variants. Oh God! Handsome, skinny, uh, <laughs> old, fat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then uh, and then you do a Harry Lime one, which could be a Citizen Kane one, but it's not. It's it's a third man. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. Yeah, that's, this is going to be our shortest episode yet. Thank you all for listening. Um, check us minutes. out. Check us out next time. Our next episode will drop in approximately eighteen weeks. Um, <laughs> but get ready for it. I mean, it could come sooner. It could come later. But uh, no, <laughs> no one misses us. That's for sure. I miss us. I do too. I miss you. Oh, it's people who don't know. Judson left me. I left. I'm well. I'm sure they heard the news a long time ago. But I moved. I had to. He did this like restraining order thing, so like I can't be in the same state anymore. But we we still make it work. You know, we can't be in the same room, but we we have to do a podcast because we signed this contract a couple years ago, and we're just having to kind of play it out now. But we signed a contract. Yeah. <coughs> What's going on? What are, we, what are we talking about today? I mean, uh, our audience person just heard the Phantom Thread trailer, mm-hmm. and they're probably wondering why. Maybe we should just dive into that. Or they're wondering, what the hell was that? Why was that intro two minutes and 40 seconds? With a masterfully, just like that slow scissors. <sighs> oh, It's going to give someone goosebumps. Oh, it gave me goosebumps. Just like this well, ready? That's some fine coffee. That's fine. Oh boy. Uh, all right. So, so Phantom Thread. We finally. It, it feels like we got nothing. Uh, last fall, they're like, "Hey, we're um, we're making a movie. It's gonna shoot," and we're like, "Okay." And then uh, they just kind of went off and made the movie, and we got no updates for a long time. Mm-hmm. And. Then, like, this Twitter account was created, the official Phantom Thread Twitter account, and, like, within a couple days of their creation, we got a poster. Mm-hmm. Well, which first is a synopsis on last Friday. Which is somehow the most mysterious poster I've ever seen. Like, 
it's it's kind of Mad Men-y, isn't it? Yeah, it's super Mad Men-y. But like, I love that the poster tells you nothing, but it's still fascinating to look at. Yeah, and it's got that like nineteen fifties. Like, it looks like a piece of art from from the, the from the fifties. Yeah, it looks like it could also easily be a poster for the master too. Very true. Um, uh, but like in contrast to like you know the fantastic poster we got for Spider-Man: Homecoming or uh, Thor: Ragnarok, it's amazing how much a poster can convey by doing the opposite and just taking a minimalist approach. It can still convey more <laughs> than something instead with of, twelve Tony Starks on it. Instead of telling you who's in the movie <laughs> over and over again, this movie's this poster's actually like. Asking you to ask questions. Yeah, like who is that? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. Um, these are pretty colors. But it's a it's a, it's a fine looking poster. You know what question this didn't answer for me though? Is this movie going to tie in to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, I think um, like on the dress. So, mm-hmm. so if you haven't seen the poster, it's who we presume to be Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Reynolds Woodcock. Mm-hmm. And he has his back. Like, we're looking at his, his, the back of him, and he's kind of leaning to the side and looking at this woman in a dress kind of walking by. And uh, I think if you look closely... So in the trailer, he says, I, I hide things in the lining of clothes. Mm-hmm. And I think you can actually see Tony Stark... In one of the scenes. Oh, he's in the lining. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, that makes sense. Yeah, I can yeah. see that now. Exactly. Oh, it's so funny. I, I did, hadn't done like a close look at this poster, but like you're right. She is walking by as if up on a runway, and I always figure, figured she was up on one of those pedestals, and he was like tailoring the dress around her, and that's why she was elevated, but I think, I think she is walking by. You're right. It's a very static image, but there's a lot of movement in it at the same time. Fascinating. But no jetpacks, so... No joke. Kind of a wash. Not yet. Kind of a wash, ultimately. But. And you know what? I think there's a lot of misdirection in this trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is Superman in it? Uh, I, I mean, I think this trailer does a lot to inspire Tumblr people to create Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley sex pictures. I like that we've just taken a massive dump on at least five or six different fandoms and we're 10 minutes into the podcast. One and one that we actually really uh enjoy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh but you Which know, we'll talk about hey, later. That's this is an edgy podcast. No one is safe. <laughs> I wish I could screen screen grab your face right there. <laughs> my my douchebag face. I had to get into full a- character. It was amazing. Um, but no, this trailer, it just popped up. It can't, They put it up at 7 a.m. Pacific time, uh, which is the only time zone that I care about. Mm-hmm. And I got to work and just like straight away watched it like seven times. Boom. It was amazing. So we get our first look at this movie. And the first thing that comes to mind is uh, our boy Paul, Thomas Anderson, mm-hmm. He he uh he DP'd himself. What do what do you think of the 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 images that we saw? How does how does it look to you? Uh, I could not tell this wasn't shot by Deacons. This is, I mean, we knew he was talented. We knew he's a great director. We knew he's a great writer. And he hasn't DP'd any of his own films, right? Like he, I think he's DP'd a couple of the music videos he shot in the past, right? Um, but I 
did not expect this to be I mean how many DPs has he worked with now? Elswit for the majority of his career, right? Just two, I think. I mean, I don't know who shot all his music videos, but um, as far as his films go, it was just that one guy who shot the master whose name I can picture but I can't pronounce. Yeah. Um was it Major hmm. Yeah, the the guy, the the guy. Is he Danish yeah. or something? Or Swiss? I think so. I think probably one of those cool European I'm not nations. Look him up. Um who shot Inherent Vice? Did Elswit come back for that? Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. And he was supposed to shoot this one, but there's like a schedule conflict. And, right. And he was just like, all right, I'll just do it myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I mean, I, I'm speechless because the lighting's perfect. The camera's perfect. The movement's there. And you don't have a static camera in this like in any other PTA movie. I mean, at least from the two minutes in the trailer. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. How does he do it? I think he's just uh, really, really, really smart and talented and humble. And I say that because I met him. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Twice now. Yeah. Um, you guys are basically on your way to starting a podcast if you've met twice. Look, you know what my friend at work said? He said, if, it, if, it, if when it happens a third time, that's can you read my script level of friendship. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know, I don't know why, but it kind of, it kind of reminded me of, um, I think it's that dinner scene in the trailer, Mm -hmm. uh, where it looks like it's lit by those candles. It just reminded me of, uh, Barry Barry Lyndon. Yep. Even, even like the lighter stuff, like the shot of them kind of cliffside. And I wonder how much natural lighting he used or if he was, if that was a look he had in mind, um, for this movie. Yeah. But. I could just be making this up. No, you're you're totally right. That in the dinner scene and also in those couple insert shots where it's um, Reynolds Woodcock looking through a peephole or looking through a hole in the uh, yeah. in the wall, and you just see the light reflecting off his iris. It's uh, he's he's doing something special here, and I don't want to jinx it. I mean, I know it's going to be the movie. It's already done and in the can probably because he edits so damn fast. Um, but. God, this movie just is doing everything right for me right now. Uh, did you do you notice that like uh, what is her name? I think her name's Alma, the the female mm-hmm. lead yeah. in the movie. Like she's like lit like angelically in like almost every shot. It's and, and he's always like kind of in the dark. And I don't know. I'm just I'm super excited to like watch it a bunch of times, but then. Like do a do like a close reading. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the same way. Like when I watch, I watch movies that I really love a lot. But then sometimes I turn them on, and I'm not watching it. You're not watching it for the story. It. You're watching it for the form, right? Right. And I was. I just. It sounds super dumb and pretentious, but like, kind of like when you did a close reading in. Um, you know, like lit class. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about like piecing together the story, but you're just really analyzing the text and the word choice and the way they form sentences and, right. and what all that means. And uh, like I did that with Citizen Kane and I like to do that with There Will Be Blood. And I feel like every time I watch those movies in that way, like I'm blown away by something small I never noticed before. Yeah. And it's just like, that's my, that's like my favorite. That's the thing about Paul's movies too, is they have so many intricate layers 
to do that with. Um, yeah. There are a million things you could analyze in even his shortest film, Punch Drunk Love, uh, that you could just – it's just a goldmine of craft at the in, – in the truest sense of the word. He's a craftsman. That's right. He's he's a he's a real Reynolds Woodcock of making movies. <laughs> and this also at the same time looks like a perfect piece of like escapist cinema too. Not in like the explosions and monsters sense, but like this is a trans transportative movie, you know? This is a movie that's going to take you somewhere else. Um Exactly. I mean, I don't I don't I mean it's a really good trailer because it's Casey said that it reminded her of the Dunkirk trailer the, with that ticking clock and how, how much it, like, puts you on the edge. Mm-hmm. And I I agree, like, the last, like, 30 seconds kind of take my breath away every time. Yeah. And it, a lot of it's, like, Johnny Greenwood, like, really going nuts. But, like, it's just cut together where it, like, creates this tension and it kind of makes you wonder, like, what's going to unravel in this movie and what don't we know, like, about... Daniel Day's character, mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. there's... I mean, we had heard that there's, like, art house Fifty Shades of Grey type stuff in this movie. Oh, boy, I didn't know that. And, uh... And... Uh, you know, that that leaves a lot to your imagination about what... <laughs> what's going on with this guy. Um, but she does say, like, all your rules, and I'm like, uh-oh, maybe it's like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got like some weird, weird sex dungeon. I mean, and that sounds like the kind of script that Daniel Day-Lewis would be waiting for. He's like, I want to go out with a bang, literally. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't want to have a slow ride off into the sunset after Lincoln, you know. He's like, let's come back and let's let's do some Woodcock. Let's give him something to fucking talk about. (laughs) Like, and I think, I think, uh, because... I don't know. I, I just don't see it being just like this dry Age of Innocence type thing, like which the the movie the trailer has is like reminiscent of that. But it's, yeah. it's got to have that extra layer, especially because we, we should say like this is his last movie role. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he claims he's retiring, so like you're right. He's he he's got to go out with a bang. Yeah, and and it's something that I had never really. Like I thought about it, but I never really considered that this could have like a real eyes wide shut angle to it in like terms of the finality of someone's career, Daniel Day Lewis's, and also just like the layers that you could work into this movie if it's kind of a mesh of Age of Innocence and Eyes Wide Shut or something even yeah. a little more risque. Yeah. Uh, we could be dealing with a serious, serious movie here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I it's hard to like figure out where my headspace is because we had just gotten the Star Wars trailer mm-hmm. a couple weeks before, mm-hmm. and I was like, all Star Wars. I was listening to podcasts I've never even heard of before, yeah. And, like watching the movies over and over, and just living in that headspace, and they just just kind of came out of nowhere and smacked me in the face. And now I'm like, <laughs> you're like, oh, it's Woodcock I, season two. Yeah, man. <laughs> Luckily, there's like a. a 10 days in between the movie and I'll probably see Star Wars a few like I already have tickets for three showing oh gee yeah I just have the first showing I'll pick up the second ones probably uh the the in a couple weeks um I, I have Thursday night Saturday morning 
and then Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. which Casey and I always go see it in IMAX. Yeah, what what time are you guys seeing at Christmas Eve? <laughs> Not to get into the so people can stalk you, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, morning show, evening show. It's like noonish, nice noon thirty one. 1230, sorry. Um, IMAX print or uh, 35? No, we're not getting one, man. What? There's there, there's only like three or four, and the only one in California is like in San Jose or something. Even digital IMAX? Or are you talking 70? Oh, the 70 print. Sorry, what, what was your question? Oh, I, just, I didn't know if you were seeing it like the Chinese for their laser IMAX or something like that. Oh, no. I do have free... Uh, Chinese tickets I gotta use. Real quick, actually, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna detour into IMAX here. Have you seen an IMAX laser film yet? Uh, yeah. Okay. How is it? Because I've heard it's like as good as seventy from some people. Wait. Do you just mean? Is there a difference between? Um... Yeah. So there's ba- there's there's the digital IMAX, which is the um, what do they call it? Xeon. 4k or whatever which is really just gotcha. two 2k projectors that are filming over each other to make the image seem brighter um doesn't the was the chinese the first laser it was yeah chinese okay is, then i haven't okay i haven't because the last time i saw an imax movie other than rogue one was uh was at the amc at universal oh okay yeah and I think that's just a Xenon 2K IMAX. Like, the majority of them are nowadays. So, like, those are the most prolific. Like, every AMC pretty much markets themselves as having one of those because IMAX franchised out their brand and stopped sticking to the kind of um, very finite details of what it requires to be considered an IMAX screen. Um, and then you have laser IMAXs, which are more prolific. Uh, and then the rarest are, are the 70, um, 70 mil, I think. Um. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of seventy, there is a <clears throat> we can kind of leave Phantom Thread behind now, but there, there's a. I don't know where I read it, but there's a rumor that they're doing a blow up print of seventy millimeter. Oh, it, it was on IMDb. Uh, that it was shot on thirty five and mm. they're doing a blow up. So, if you live in one of the Big markets, I'd say you, you might have a good chance of seeing it. New York, L.A., maybe even Austin or Chicago. Oh, sure yeah. The Music Box will be able to get their hands on that eventually in Chicago. Yeah. Because um, they, they played Inherent Vice and the Master quite a bit on 70. Once or twice a year, they do like a little 70 millimeter fest. So if you're in Chicago, you keep an eye out for that. I would like go up to Chicago to see that. Both to go to Chicago for the first time and to see a, a, a PTA <laughs> film on. Uh, I'll meet you there. That would be awesome. <laughs> we should the do music it. box is great. I saw there will be blood there on thirty five. That's right. It was, a, it was a good time. Um. Okay. Speaking well, of uh, the Last Jedi, though. Real, yeah, yeah. Let's stick with this for a second. Okay. So you've did you see the Force Awakens when it came out a couple years ago? I caught it on a on an airplane. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I saw it on VOD. Um, a couple a couple weeks ago, VHS. actually, yeah, yeah, I saw it on VHS when it came out in the nineties. <laughs> Back when it was called A New Hope. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, this is a this is a good trailer. This is a Ryan Johnson movie that comes out this year. This is like yeah, you know, I should go. 
Sorry, I, I, I watched Phantom Thread right before we started, and I should have watched The Last Jedi. Nah. Um, but this is this was exciting. I mean, this was a cool ass trailer. Yeah, it's not like we need to go frame by frame. I think any of our friends that are listening to this have seen the trailer and have are already done thinking about it because it came out so long ago now. Um, but damn, it looked cool, uh, and it has created so much hype in my gut, like in my heart. I just I have so much anticipation to see this movie. Um, Trevor's flying out to come see it uh, at 7 p.m. on Thursday, uh, so he can see it two hours ahead of you in L.A., um, just to spite you. Um, uh, yeah, but are we sure he's going to make it? Because he's been known to be a <laughs> late to things. I'll be like, Trevor, just get I on the plane. See, I could just see you like sitting in the theater, just like, looking at your watch, just waiting. He's just, he texts you, he's like, hey, I just got to Long Beach Airport. <laughs> I'll be right there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, I mean, I'll be enjoying it two hours ahead of you, so that's cool. I don't know why you got to keep bringing that up. <clears throat> I mean, you. I gave you the invitation. I was like, hey, you know, if you want to come out to Austin and see The Last well, Jedi. screw you. I, I, I saw Force Wiggins before you, bitch. Really? Probably. I don't know. I was in Chicago. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you did see it two hours ahead of me. And then we'll see nine together. It's just... It's all balanced. Yeah. But The Last Jedi is going to be good. I'm excited. I'm as excited for this to be a Ryan Johnson movie as it to be a Star Wars movie. That's what's pretty special about it. We're getting a new Ryan Johnson movie after five years. And even with as little as we got in that trailer, because they're like intentionally, insanely withholding, the performances are already far exceeding what I expected from anybody. Yo, Adam Driver is. I'm. I'm really looking forward to seeing. Dude, him just like keep keep going. He bringing it. He's the best. He's like, oh man. Going into this franchise, I was like, Oscar Isaac is going to steal this franchise out from under everybody. No one's going to see him coming because he's so great. Because I had just seen a most violent year, and I was like, Oscar Isaac is going to be the star of the next Star Wars franchise. And then Adam Driver's in it, and then I'm like, oh no 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 no! Everyone's taking a backseat to Adam right now. Adams, Adams doing things that no one could have seen coming in a but Star Wars like, movie. But then, like Daisy Ridley shows up and she's just like, "Hey, you never heard of me before, but I'm actually quite great at acting." And then John Boyega shows up and he's like, "Let me show y'all how it's done. I'm gonna be <laughs> funny and charming and silly and incredibly engaging all at once, and I'm gonna be, what I think I'm gonna be a stormtrooper at the same time." There's a big there's a big question mark about like Mark Hamill acting. And like he, you know, he's he's always been fine. He's always been like pretty good. Yeah. But even he acknowledges he wasn't that great of an actor, and he went and did voice work, mm-hmm. and he killed it. But like just seeing him, like in these scenes, even though they're like out of context, context and very quick, mm-hmm. but just like I don't know, man. He's like bringing it. I'm. I'm. He got me. He got me really excited. Uh, I just to see. Him inhabiting Luke Skywalker again, and like he's all tormented and messed up and weary and scared, and like the look in his eyes, he just looks insane. That's the crazy part for me is I'm like I'm having such a hard time connecting this what Mark's doing here in the Last Jedi to the original trilogy. Like I'm having a cognitive dissonance. Like oh, that's the same Luke. Like this is the guy that blew up the Death Star forty years ago. This is the dude who. 
you know, like I grew up watching. It, it's hard for me to re- like re- realize and remember it's the same character because we had such a separation, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure what that's the result of, but like that's the, that's nuts that this is where the you know the hero of the franchise is at this point, basically, um, in f- like self exhalation. Um, just chilling with these little birds and these crazy reptile nuns. Dude, I can't wait to see those reptile nuns. Oh, it, it's and like it's so weird. The trailer already wasn't wasn't what I was expecting, and I know the movie's going to be even less like predictable in that way. Like I'm I'm at the point now where I'm like, they may kill off three or four characters because I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. No, I, I, I. Uh... I totally agree, man. I, I, I was kind of shocked by the trailer and like what I saw and some of the implications of things. And, and I know that we've only seen like four and a half minutes of footage from this movie mm-hmm. that's allegedly two hours and 35 minutes. Yeah, it's longer than I Justice guess. League. That's good. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure it's like three hours long. <laughs> like, how could they not make a movie about... The most iconic characters of all time teaming up to fight the CGI monster people. And why would they use then, 170 minutes as a placeholder if it's only 120? So stupid. God. Yeah, but anyway, uh, getting back to what you were saying, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> We've only seen four minutes. I don't, I don't really remember. I feel like if we would have recorded this podcast a month like or three weeks ago when the trailer came out, yeah, it probably forced you to go frame by frame. Mm-hmm. But I've heard so many people talk about it, and I've watched it about fifty times. That like I'm just at peace now. You know, with all the speculation I listened to, to and all the trailer breakdowns and recaps and hot takes, you know, the one thing I never heard anyone say that I think is a real possibility right now. I think Luke and Leia could both die in this movie, and I think Ray could probably kill Luke. Like that's how unexpected. I think this movie could go. I think this can make a hard left real fast in a way that kind of like leaves JJ having to pick up a lot of pieces. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had heard from somebody that Kathy's question of who is Luke Skywalker mm-hmm. is part of the reason why he's coming back. Yeah. That he didn't get to play with that toy, and he's still really excited to. I, I just I don't think Luke is going out in this movie. I don't but, know, uh, man. I just don't know. Just, I just don't know. Yeah. But I love everyone saying that like Ray's a super weapon, like the Death Star. I think that's hilarious. That's some funny shit. <laughs> The, the dots that Star Wars fans connect, man, are so insane to me. Like, well, if there's no Starkiller base in this one, then that means Ray is the super weapon. <laughs> I was like, whoa. But these are the same people who are like, oh, another super weapon? Yeah. So it's like they can't they can't imagine a Star Wars movie without it, but they can't they can't deal with a Star Wars movie with it. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know. But I think uh, I, I think the the trailer had like some moments for me that shocked me, mm-hmm. and that was a lot of it is probably way out of context. The clever so editing, can't yeah. Wait, can't wait to see how the movie um, does the same, but obviously on a, on a bigger level with way more meaning and implications. 
I'm really excited to see what will either be like our first montage or our first time jump in a Star Wars, like in a saga film, you know, because we saw it in Rogue One where it jumps uh, 10 years into the future with young Jin and, and old Jin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're going to get the same thing here in some capacity, whether it's a training montage that takes six months or it's a, a you know, a, a quick jump that Ryan's like three months later uh, in, in bright yellow letters or something like that. I hope in the Rogue One font. I hope so. Yeah, that would be awesome. In uh, Times New Roman <laughs> or Arabic Standard or whatever the font's called. I, I mean, come on. That's, if I could, if I could ask <laughs> one question to the people who make these movies, that, that would be it. Yeah, I just need to know who picked that. I want to see the it. oral history of that decision. But like, why did you end up here? It needs to be fifteen pages long too, because <laughs> they they need to. I mean, I want to. I want to know. Uh, yeah, Star Wars is great, man. I'm excited. I got tickets. I'm going to see it a lot. I hope I'll see it with you. I hope you'll see it with me. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question. What's your problem? We'll, we'll live tweet when we see it together. Um, I guess I, I don't want to talk about these trailers too much just because I want to do like a double episode where we have to talk about both these movies. Oh. Phantom Thread and Last Jedi. That's our only December episode for sure is going to be a, a tandem episode with both. And it's going to be three hours like our JJ it, retrospective. It, it better be. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to record it in person. Um, it'll be it'll be special. And, uh, and, and then we're going to gamble away all our money. It's going to be great. Oh, don't even get me started. So we both saw a couple movies recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you uh, What do you like? The the <laughs> dark horse of my 2017 so far is Blade Runner 2049. This is a capital A achievement, achievement for film, for sci fi, for Denis Villeneuve. For Ryan Gosling, this is like, this movie should have been like a moment movie. Like we should have all taken a big deep breath and been like, "Whoa, that's that's how you make a movie." And then we didn't do it for some reason. No one, no one gave, no one gave an f. Yeah, the movie uh, did it tank. I mean, I I I only saw the opening weekend had a, they had a, a rough start. I don't know if they. Did a slow climb? Yeah, I don't know if they screwed. could dig out from that because there wasn't, like, it, there was buzz. Everyone was, that was seeing it was like, holy crap, don't read anything and go see this. Um, and that's exactly what I did. And, whoa. Like, I've been just thinking about this movie for, I think, a month now since I saw it. Or three weeks at the least. And it's just one that I'm just like, oh, they did that really, really well. Have you gone back to see it? No, I'm dying to though, and I'm at the point where I'm like Roman, hey, we got to go run some errands, and then I just like, you know, kind of kidnap her into a theater for three hours. Did she see it with you the first time? No, she didn't, because um, like she's not a huge fan of violence or anything like that. And after the first Blade Runner, where like dudes are getting their eyeballs squished out of their heads, she was like, um, I'm gonna take a pass at this one, <laughs> and you can let me know how it is. <laughs> Okay. And I came home from seeing it and I was like, oh shit. Uh, that's, that's, it's a thinker. Tears in the rain, man. What did you think about Blade Runner 2049? (laughs) 
I'm having a hard time, like, kind of recollecting it for some reason. It's been a while, uh, but... Yeah, I saw it opening night, which wasn't even, like, a month ago, but... Um, a a I, lot's I, happened I, since then, in fairness. That's true. Um, I, I I really liked it. I, I, it was beautiful. Like, that's for sure. Roger Deakins maybe getting his Oscar this year. Who knows? Yeah, right. <laughs> At this point, they're just like, eh. You know what's going to be crazy is when Paul gets nominated for director, writer, and DP. That, and Best Picture? That's never happened before, has it? Mm-mm. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to steal Deacon Center, but he's not going to win that Oscar, man. There's no way. Deacons? Yeah, Deacons, he, he's, he had so many chances. He was, he was nominated in the same category twice a couple years ago for two movies he shot and he didn't win. You know which movies? Uh, and you know who beat him? Elsewhere, yeah. it was He did yeah, uh, yeah. Jesse James and No Country for Old Men. Yep. And he lost to Elsewit for blood. Yeah. Which is like, you know, kind of crazy. Yeah. I, I, I mean... <laughs> uh, no, I don't... I should have... I. This is why we didn't do a, a, an episode on Blade Runner and Mother <laughs> because I my brain is so like petered out on those movies. But um, what what was it all about to you? Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah. What was it? What was uh? When I think of that, when I think of that movie, I think about uh, I think about joy. Mm. The character, not the emotion. Or the um, Jennifer Lawrence vehicle from a few years ago. Yes. I think about that movie quite a bit, actually. Yeah, Joy was just a landmark. I think uh, that that actress was quite remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. I thought she she really acted the hell out of it. Um, God, I sound like such an idiot. I don't know, you talk. <laughs> no, I feel idiotic too because it, it's not – maybe it's just one of those movies that, that this, it's, it's not articulatable. Like it's just like, yeah, you should really uh, go see Blade Runner, everybody, because it's, <laughs> it's better than the original. I'll say it because the original doesn't age well. And this is like about identity and hope and – what it means to be human or what it means mm-hmm. it's oh, it's a lot movie about Los Angeles too which I have a soft spot for um and it's about people I think yeah um <laughs> way to make wanna, it wanna, as, as boring as possible it's just a movie about people you know our our friends at Atlantic Screencast probably did like a three hour episode on it. And they no way. Like read books and and talked about stuff. I didn't listen to it, but I you know I'm sure if you wanted to like dive deep into this movie, but but I like I like uh, movies like this that I don't. They're not. It's it's not like they're breaking new ground in like terms of like philosophically what the movie's about. Yeah. But when you when you combine like the stunning visuals and the deliberate pacing and and those uh philosophical ideas, mm-hmm. it just kind of creates this like perfect vessel to to reflect on on these issues like 
and, and and I and I like stuff that examines like what 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 does it mean to be alive like oh. whether whether you're artificially created and this is something I mean do you remember that goat they made or the lamb what was it they made like the first oh yeah the first cloned animal or whatever yeah I think it was a lamb from like the nineties or whatever mm-hmm. and it was like I just remember being a kid on the way home from school and like listening to the radio and I was like asking my mom about it. And there's like this moral debate on like, well, if we, I mean, this is like from a religious angle, mm-hmm. but it's like, well, if we clone humans, would they have a soul? Would they even be human? And the, the movie kind of centers around, um, kind of like this mystery about creating life, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Is, I don't, I don't know if spoilers or whatever, but, um, and it kind of, it kind of raises these questions about the value of life, whether it's created naturally, quote unquote, yeah, or yeah. like by our hand. It, it's all very interesting. And, and it's at a time when I think like artificial intelligence has nowhere to go, but keep evolving and, and, uh, take over our world and murder us in our sleep. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm less worried about the Skynet kind of route than I am about not being able to distinguish between humans and non-humans. And I think that's what a lot of the anxieties are centered around in Blade Runner. Yeah. And, and, and I just read something this week about, um, the cloned meat and like bioengineering meat for consumption. What? Yeah, with basically what they can do is get me woke right now, buddy. They they can take DNA from you know like a slab of ground beef mm-hmm. and then create a whole new pound of ground beef, and what that would do would basically we'd be able to continue our our gluttonous meat consumption, mm-hmm. which is way beyond irresponsible at this point, yeah. <laughs> this juncture of where we are globally, uh, without actually having to slaughter animals and take up, you know, millions of square miles of land and, uh, and all the feed and all the water that it takes to, to take care of these animals before we kill them to eat them. Um, which is just like a huge contributor to, to the global climate crisis that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's going to be like a weird pill to swallow for people. Like, even if you do like the Pepsi challenge and you have no idea what you're, which one's which, people are still going to be freaked out by. They're going to have that anxiety about, well, is it even real? And uh, <laughs> and I and honestly, I think Blade Runner is about artificial meat. Yeah. And our anxiety to to eat a fake hamburger. Damn. Yeah, I mean, like, I, you, I don't know. I I have I, the feeling, but like maybe I'm too conditioned to this. But like I, whenever I'm eating a Big Mac, I'm never like, oh, this is real meat. I'm always very skeptical of its origins. Anyway, well, that that's fair. Big Mac. <laughs> um, we, we were having the weirdest Blade Runner conversation right now. I should have like read something. No, there's that we're not here to read things, Colin. We're here for the real information. We're like the info wars of film podcasts. Are you Alex Jones? Yeah. Um, watch me run <laughs> like a duck and chase somebody. <laughs> um, but I, I think you're onto something about what Blade Runner is really about. Um, and I don't think it's something that 
can be talked about easily because it's really about the experience of watching a very slow, methodical movie um, communicate something without talking about it, which they do so well in that movie. Um, and and that's I think you hit hit it right there of why I why I responded to mm-hmm. it, why I liked it because it what Blade Runner was doing in 1982 was was like Ridley Scott. What he did in Alien was he said. Halloween is is popular. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is popular. I'm going to mash those two together. Yeah. We're going to do a, a slasher film in space. Um, and then from there, he, he was like, okay, well, you know, Star Wars is popular. And I like... <laughs> and I like Chinatown. Chinatown <laughs> and I like, yeah. And I like Maltese Falcon and Double Indemnity. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a movie. And, and once, once you realize what he's doing, I saw Blade Runner and I didn't... I couldn't appreciate that when I saw it because I thought it was... I was like, oh, it's got Harrison Ford. It's it's a sci-fi movie yeah. from the 80s. Like, it's going to be uh, Total Recall. It's going to be <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Um, but it's not. And he has he didn't have an interest in that. So I think when Denny Villeneuve coming in, he, he has those same love of film and the, that noir um, genre. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna make the three hour version of Blade Runner meets or Star Wars meets Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Not even Star Wars, but um, yeah, but, it's it's uh, kind of its own genre, Blade Runner, I guess. Well, dystopian future is not rare anymore because of like things like Hunger Games and all that. But um, the oh, the, I don't want to say gritty because it's definitely not a gritty film, but it's got a very granular quality to it you know Mm -hmm. um it's very much rooted in soil you know that's that's a that's how i'll put it it's a very earthy kind of film even though it's dealing with a future earth that's hardly recognizable but um but but what i guess what i responded to was it's it's willingness to to take its time Mm -hmm. and to make you sit through i mean like you could have gotten an editor in there. They could have delivered the same movie, but made it two fifteen. You know, oh like, sure, they could have made it snappier if they wanted to. Y- you cut, you cut the tail end of a lot of those scenes, or the beginning or the middle. But I love just like the the atmosphere he creates with yeah, making you sit in on these moments and like even that like that that weird sex scene, which is like un unlike anything I've ever seen before mm. in movies. Mm-hmm how long he was willing to go on that just to make you understand, like just to make you consider like, is it wrong? Is it right? Like what? Yeah. What's going on what, here? What are the limits? Yeah. What, 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 what moral playground are we playing on? And, and what, what, what side of the fence do I want to be on in this? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I, uh, it's a movie that I think I will revisit. Yes. Again and again throughout the years and just really let it sink in because I've only seen it once. It was weeks ago. And I think this is a movie that demands to be watched again and revisited yeah. before you can really crack it open. Um, and maybe maybe we'll do a future episode on it when I don't sound like a bumbling idiot. <laughs> What's, I, I think it deserves a, an episode on its own um, that we can, you know, um, 
retrospectivize with either the original Blade Runner or something else. But what's really beautiful about this movie, despite the terrible poster, like we've seen so many of this year, is that it works as well as a sequel to Blade Runner as it does a sequel to Drive in that weird, weird (laughs) way. No, really. Like, when you think about it, like, I think Gosling's character in Drive is probably also a replicant. Um... And I think he's working through a lot of the same issues about what it means to have attachments and what it means to be a human, despite not having a past and not having real yeah. memories. Um, Carrie Mulligan is also fantastic in Drive. <laughs> she would have been great in this. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and Blade Runner 2049 is like a movie that wasn't scared to take risks, even though it knew... And I think Denis Villeneuve knew that this movie wasn't going to be what people wanted for a Blade Runner sequel because we're in the age of the action blockbuster and not the thinker movie. Um, Right. I I think there might have been an expectation that Denis would come in and kind of like J.J. Abrams in. Yeah. Like kind of make Blade Runner but for the 2017 audience. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is, no, he just, he made the, like, if they would have made Blade Runner 2 in 1984, it probably would have been close to this movie. Yeah. You know, like, it, it, yeah, Uh, and you got to admire that. But, uh, you know, I don't know where they're going to go from here, uh, because it it did so poorly. I think it's going to be one that just has to be, it's going to have to be appreciated slowly over time. And if I can really quickly talk about two things I loved about this movie before we pivot away and talk about how it's the same movie as Mother, basically. Harrison Ford running. Harrison Ford running was great. Um, But one, the story structure. This movie had me convinced of one thing for two hours and 20 minutes and then completely changed my mind about it in the the last half of the third act. (laughs) That was incredible and beautiful and... I think we need to see more of that in script writing um, because it's audiences are getting smarter, even though they're getting dumber at the same time. You can predict a movie very easily now if you've seen more than 10 movies made this decade. Right. Blade Runner made that a lot more difficult because it works in the gray areas so much of its own storytelling. Yeah. Um, and this movie is one that didn't, necessarily set itself up for a sequel even though it it does open the door to one it's not in the way of like the cliffhanger kind of uh mode that we see from franchises nowadays this is very much a movie that can live and die on its own without even the original blade runner Uh, that's that's very true um would you would you liken it to maholland drive no in that sense of uh how the end recontextualizes the oh beginning. oh in that respect yeah oh that's actually Denis maybe really drawing on a lot of David Lynch themes actually thinking back to yeah. Arrival right now and Prisoners oh damn hold on <laughs> <laughs> we may have just cracked a huge Denis Villeneuve egg for another episode or series of episodes but he may be the best working genius in Hollywood hold on. <laughs> Well, and he's doing Dune. Didn't Lynch direct that? Oh, shit. Okay, hold on. Everyone pause your podcast for a minute. Pause your brains. 
we have to ruminate on no 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 we can't do it now we can't do it here for the Blade Runner episode Denis Villeneuve retrospective to come I already see it happening you know that's a good idea because I I really have been wanting to go back and watch uh, Prisoners again oh man even Sicario this goes so deep this is every movie hold on oh I gotta back away from the mic <laughs> he's okay guys okay alright I just had something like it was like I saw God's face in Denis Villeneuve's oeuvre for a second you saw God. You touched the face of God. <laughs> All right. Yeah. But stepping away from him to another maybe visionary genius, your boy, Darren Aronofsky. What the hell is going on with Mother, Colin? I think if you want to find out what's going on with with Mother, you, all you have to do is seek out an interview with Darren Aronofsky. Oh, because he, he explained his whole movie to everybody before they had a chance to see it? Super eager to talk about it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, like... Is he super eager or is the studio eager to get him to talk about it? That's a good question. I I wish we I knew. He, But he doesn't operate on that David Lynch level of, like, here's, here's my film... Go live in the text of it mm. and figure it out mm-hmm. and, and draw what you want from it. He's always been like, oh, yeah, I'm making a movie that's a metaphor for climate change. <laughs> uh, no, you know, like Noah is this is my movie about environmentalism. You know, mm-hmm. it's he's always been like that. And um, and like Mother's no different. I think this time he had the backing of a major studio who wanted this movie they wanted this movie to be uh, talked about. Like, they wanted it to be controversial. They they wanted people to be grossed out yeah. and offended. And you could see that in, like, the way it's promoted. I mean, have you did you see that poster? With that they released? Jennifer Lawrence's face or what? Yeah. Where it's, like, her half-normal face and the half of her face that's like got the shit kicked out of it. Oh, no, I didn't see that. On either side, like on the pretty side of her face is all the good reviews, and on the on the messed up side is all the bad reviews. And it's like, oh, whoa, yeah, I'm seeing this now. It's kind of gross, <laughs> um, but I guess we should just talk about the movie itself. I really liked it. I I I uh, that movie for me did a, a lot of things that I think Blade Runner did for me as well. Mm. Where um, even though it was much shorter. That movie, it could have been shorter, like with a different editor, a different director yeah. making that movie. He he held the camera uh, on on Jennifer Lawrence for a very long time. I think her her face makes up like sixty percent of the film. Wow, is what uh, I was at a Q and A, um, and and I think it's risky in that regard where it it moves slowly in the beginning mm-hmm. and it's kind of like planting some seeds uh and then it just kind of ramps up um toward the end planting seeds what a good metaphor man you're so good at this uh <laughs> but but I did I really liked the movie I liked what it was doing and I liked what it was saying I thought Javier Bardem was was incredible Everybody um, in this movie was just captivating. Like I was in a trance watching it for the whole runtime. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, and Ed, Ed Harris, Harris. Like they, like he, it was, it was incredibly well acted, which was important because when the movie kind of goes into its like tailspin, huh. if 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 it gets 
a little hokey or or poorly acted, it kind of it can really like make or break the movie. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But Jennifer Lawrence, I think you know she carried it. I, I I haven't seen her in a role like this in a while. I have no problem calling her one of like the goats of our generation. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think she could easily. In 30 years, people will look back on Lawrence's career and be like, oh, she's totally been Meryl Streeping this whole time. Like, she's not turning in a bad performance. Even in her movies that are lackluster, like Joy or like, I mean, it's hard to say she's doing anything revolutionary in the X-Men films, but she's definitely not phoning it in anywhere, I don't think. Even in the movies that may deserve a phone call. (laughs) Um. So, what what did you think of Mother? What was uh, what was your experience? I did not know what was happening the whole time, <laughs> um, and I saw it alone. Because um, again, Roman was like, "I don't want to deal with any of this crazy violence or any traumatizing stuff." I was like, "Fair point. Uh, don't want you to have to deal with it either." So I see it. I walk out of theater. I'm just like, "Wow." Uh, that was like, I was speechless pretty much. I came home. I was like, I don't know what I just saw, but it was brilliant. And Roman's like, oh yeah. Was the whole, um, global warming metaphor really strong? Like people were saying, or was it, uh, understated? And I was like, what? Cause I didn't read anything going into this movie. And that metaphor went completely over my head. Oh really? I didn't know that's what the movie was about at all. All until Roman said it, and then I had like a basically what just happened when I realized how great Denis Villeneuve is. The same thing happened to me with happened to me with Mother a month ago when I saw it, and I was just sitting on the couch with my head in my hands, being like, "Holy crap! This is this is this is brilliant." I I had no idea that's what it was about, and then you recommended those podcasts to me where. Aronofsky is explaining the whole thing, but I had no clue that that's what the movie was about at all. I thought it was about Hollywood and fame and a bunch of other things and like an apology letter from Aronofsky. You you got like the biblical shit while you were watching it. A little bit, yeah, but I did not get get that it was about Mother Earth at all. Until Roman said that, and then I thought about it, and I was like, "Oh, it's it's about that everywhere." And Javier Bardem is God, and that's why none of the characters have any names. And Donal Gleeson and his brother Cain and Abel, and I was like, "Oh yeah. my God, this is this is something else. This is the purest form of metaphorical storytelling." It is. It, it, I think um, what I thought going in. Was Did you know about the about the Mother Earth stuff going in? No. Okay. All I heard was that it was an allegory. Mm, okay. Not even biblical. I just heard it's an allegorical film. So then when it started and they were isolated, mm-hmm. I went in thinking like, oh, maybe they're Adam and Eve. Mm. But then that kind of changes when Adam and Eve show up. Because at first <laughs> I thought Ed Harris was, was the devil. Yeah. And he was there to tempt them. Right. He's got that kind of devilish uh, face. Yeah. But once... He the he was puking up in the rib. Uh huh. That's when I started to put it together, and then like everything else kind of started to unfold with the with the brothers showing up and the flood, and then yeah, you know. But um, yeah. What kind of you know? What I guess what bothered me about 
the you know okay so when I saw it Darren Aronofsky and Ari Handel his producer were mm-hmm. there to do a Q and A after, and you know they they like answer some questions but then Darren Aronofsky's like you know he's holding his mic and he goes okay so he's got like that Brooklyn he's got that voice goes, yeah that I would not like, expect hey. to come out of him so so Jennifer Lawrence is mother. <laughs> Javier Bardem is God. Like he's, it's like when you're in kindergarten yeah. and the teacher's like getting you to answer the questions. Yeah. And he went through every character and, and you know, there's some good, there's really good readings on mother that, that go beyond the biblical yeah. stuff. You know, about like, about fame in Hollywood, like you said, mm-hmm. about uh, kind of like the Shining-esque story about writers being isolated mm-hmm. and, and like the effect it has on on the people around them. And, um, there's, there's interesting stuff to, uh, to delve into beyond what I think Darren meant, Mm -hmm. which is funny because it's almost like they're giving him too much credit because they're like, yeah, it's what he's saying, but I don't think that's what he really meant. But like, he's like, this is what I meant. I was at the Q and a, and somebody asked him about that theory about the writer, like about it being about a writer and, um, and he's like, that's not what I was doing at all. But if that's what you read into, I think that there, he, he basically said it, there's enough in the film to, you can get away with that reading. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, he, he was making a very specific movie and he's been very specific about what it's about. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I think my favorite part, um, I guess spoilers for mother, but it's been a while things I'll, I'll try and talk vaguely. But yeah, it came out in September. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite part was when things kind of start going haywire mm-hmm. and somebody starts to break off a piece of her house and she says, what are you doing? And she goes, what did he say? He says, like, they need to know that we were here. Mm-hmm. And, like, that line, like, hit the whole thing. Like, that was, for me, that was, like, maybe not the key to the movie. Yeah. But, like. That was just because that's all I think about, like in my spare time, is how humans have just royally screwed up the planet, <laughs> and so much of it is is because of our hubris. And it's like, yeah, I'm gonna go etch four dudes' faces into a mountain because mm-hmm. how else would they know that we were here? Right. It's like, about trying to instill this legacy and permanence because we know yeah, because, our lifetimes are limited. Yeah, and not even our lifetimes, but our species. Yeah. We're like we. The clock is ticking. Yeah. Man. Like. We every year goes by. We're we're closer to that sun boiling our oceans mm-hmm. and turning us into Venus. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah, but uh, I just I just really love that line, and I think that line encap- encapsulates the attitude of who Aronofsky's trying to condemn and the people like, that are like sitting on the sink that's not braced. I'm like, it's not mm-hmm. braced, you fucks. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, now I want to watch it again. I hope it hits VOD quick. And I know that's a bad thing because that means it didn't perform well, but like, I hope it's accessible for me soon because it's already out of theaters here. Yeah. Both those movies, by the way, did not do well at all. Um, and what uh, does that, what does that mean? Okay. What does that mean for American culture in your opinion? I, I, I don't think, I think people have bad conversations about movies 
I think I see a lot of people complain about reboots and remakes and and revivals and and they always complain about not getting original stuff mm-hmm. but I know for a fact these people aren't seeing these movies so I think they need to I think people need to pay they if they what they got to choose what they want <laughs> from these studios yeah. and go support it so if all you do is complain about not getting original shit mm-hmm. but all you do is see Justice League or the Marvel movies, then, then you're feeding in, like you're right. telling them what you want. You're you're right. voting against your own interests. <laughs> and and I, I and Blade Runner. It's weird. I'm using this one as an example because that is a recognizable name. Yeah. Like that's a, it's a sequel to a movie from thirty something years ago. Yeah. So like, I maybe I'm arguing against myself, but I think people saw that two hours and forty five minutes. They heard it was slow, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Yeah. And they're like, all right, well, I don't have time for that. And, you know, people don't have time. And that's understandable. But I don't know. The whole the, the whole question about, like, what, what is, what's happening in movies right now? And are, is cinema dead? I, like, I don't – like, no, that's true. Yeah, cinema is – It's always going to get made. Cinema's like yeah. Mother Earth. She'll keep giving back to us. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, Until we're dead, like we have to kill it. Yeah. Uh, but but I, you know, we're always gonna get something like Mother that come out every few years, and we're gonna we're gonna get Phantom Thread. Mm. And like I feel okay about that. Mm-hmm. And if people don't see it, like someone's gonna give Aronofsky and Paul Thomas Anderson the money to make another movie to keep trying. Yeah. And and thank God, but. It, the the only thing this means is it just it takes away the possibility of a new voice getting a shot. Yeah, and that's that's the big bummer I think is like it's there's gonna be some kid out there who's gonna make a movie kind of like Mother, like with this kind of mm-hmm. you know offbeat sensibility, and and no one will give it distribution or give it the money to be made because they're like, well, look, you know. We gotta make we gotta make Spider Man six and and uh, we we just don't have time. For it. Well, it's stifling the or I guess it's clogging the pipeline for you know creative people in Hollywood to do something original. And I think for I mean everyone talked about how great it was that Patty Jenkins got to direct Wonder Woman, but it's like Patty Jenkins could be doing a much better movie than Wonder Woman if we didn't have the pipeline so clogged up with shit like. Wonder Woman. Yeah. No offense. I mean, I really enjoyed that movie, and I think it was great for uh, women moviegoers, but uh, I mean, and men moviegoers. But Patty Jenkins could have done a much better movie than Wonder Woman if we weren't so focused on superhero films. It's it's true. I mean, you she hadn't made a movie since two thousand three, yeah. and that was monster. Yeah. So, but but on the flip side, maybe her doing Wonder Woman, we can get that follow up to whatever her second movie would have been. Yeah. If it didn't take her fifteen years to get, him. but now she's uh, roped uh, into Wonder Woman too, apparently, and it's like it's true. Yeah. These aren't like yeah, I'm sure she wants to be making these movies, but these aren't the stories she wants to be telling. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. No one wants to be kind of chained to a cinematic universe of superhero films uh, if they can get out and do something a little more interesting or engaging with expanding the form, you know. Um, but you know, like I, I think it all. I shouldn't speak for Patty Jenkins. Maybe she does. This is maybe she wants to Zack Snyder her career. You know. Um, 
but I hope that there are people out there that want to be doing something a little more, uh, I don't know, challenging. It's uh, it's complicated, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Because we're also, I mean, we're also here, like, doing two-hour episodes on J.J. Abrams and yeah. freaking out over Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And, you we're know. full of contradictions ourselves, yeah. Yeah. But, but I don't know, I mean... Basically, I, I think what it says about the market right now is that they they it's been ten years since Iron Man, and they continue to sp- speak with their dollar on what they want to see. Yeah. Um, although, like, well, what was the last movie? Like, did Dunkirk even do well? Uh, I, I think it made its money back, but I don't know if it was a, considered like a blockbuster. Let's check. Let's go to Box Office Mojo real quick. I know it did really well, but that's horror, and horror will always do Well, horror is so cheap to make, too, that it's really easy for them to make money off of it. Did you see it? And that's why I did. We need some art house horror movies. We like need more witch. Like western. Ooh. Like, like, uh, with, like, a Bigfoot. Like Bone Tomahawk. Uh, oh, Bigfoot would be great. You know, if somebody could set up film in, like, Black Hills, South Dakota. All right, now you're just going too far. Okay. <laughs> Bone Tomahawk was was fucking cool i like that movie uh dunkirk uh budget for the film was oh it says na um oh no here we go 100 million it made worldwide 523 mil so it, it made some money for uh for wb uh what do you think his next project's gonna be dang this like movie that. did 65 percent of its uh box office foreign Nolan's he's really marketable internationally, I guess. I mean, I guess he's British and England makes a big part of that foreign, but domestic this only made 187. Um still, sorry. Uh what were you going to say his next movie? I always I always like to whenever my favorite director is coming out with a new movie, mm-hmm. I immediately think, "Well, I know what this is coming up, but what's the next <laughs> one?" Yeah. So I'm already like, "What's what's what's Nolan, what's Paul Thomas Anderson got percolating right now? You know what I think Nolan might have percolating that no one's going to say, and like this won't actually happen, but I think they're approaching him about it. James Bond. I was going to say Bond 25, yep. Yeah. Um, Because now that Mendes is officially out of the picture, um, I I feel like that's the the, the Nolan Chris wants to do. That's the movie Chris Nolan wants to do. Um, But he did it with Inception in a lot of ways. Can he make a sexy movie, though? Yes. You think so? Yeah, you saw Dark Knight Rises. That's true. Okay. Sorry. I feel good. <laughs> I okay. Uh guilty pleasure confession. I love Bond films. <laughs> Even the bad ones. Uh they're incredibly sexist, especially the new ones. <laughs> And that's what you like. About it's not them. what I like about them, but just like I don't know. I never watched them as a kid, so it's not like I have some kind of nostalgic um attachment to them which we're going to talk about nostalgia in a second um but there's something about a bond film that like especially specter it you didn't see specter yet did you you've you've been asking me to see that for a while and i i really want to i just every time i pull it up i'm like oh it's like two hours and 20 minutes yeah you're you're totally blade runner 2049ing it (laughs) it's slow people say it's not as good as skyfall yeah 
<laughs> no, I, I like a Bond But, movie. like, the contours, the contours of a Bond film with, like, Spectre and, like, Quantum of Solace, too, like, the most hated Bond film of our generation. There's something really rewarding about those movies for me for some reason. Um, oh, it's got Una Chaplin in it. Yeah, but, like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just, like... Oh, sorry. It's probably, Was I being sexist? Yeah, I'm talking about Daniel Craig, honestly. And just, like, how well they cast such understated villains. Um, but I think there's something about, like, it being British, too, that uh, appeals to me in a way that it probably shouldn't. Where I'm, like, Speaking I'm fetishizing Craig, Britain too much. Speaking of Daniel Craig, which will pivot into our next thing. Okay. I rewatched uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo last weekend. Oh, yeah. And uh, people people are always down on that movie when it comes to, like, ranking Fincher. Because of the accents in it? I don't know, but I love it. It's hard to watch, but it's good. I really like that It's movie. one that I saw, like, um, four times in theaters and bought the Blu-ray of as soon as it came out. Really? But I haven't watched it oh. since, I don't think. Yeah, um... Yeah, we were watching it, and Casey Casey looks at me. and She goes, "You know, I never found Daniel Craig attractive, but when he wears those cardigans and that and that that set of glasses, and he does the glasses thing where it hangs off his face and like is on his jaw, yeah." And I'm like, "You know, I agree. I'm with you, man." Yeah, and he's got those crystal ice blue eyes. He looks like the Night King. Oh yeah. Um, but that was uh, I was doing that because we had just finished Mindhunter, mm. so we were feeling feeling pretty David Finchery and. Serial killery and spooky. Yeah. Um, and uh, we both watched Mindhunter, and I want to talk about it. Me too. I uh, I was a big fan. What did what about you? Incredibly big fan. Groff. Okay, good. Groff is doing great work here. Oh, he's great. Man. Fincher is. He is so good at this genre. Um, I mean, thinking back on it, like this is the the bulk of his his oeuvre. I'll use it for a second time in this episode. Is these kind of slow, methodical serial killer, or at least um, murder mystery stories? When you think about Seven, um, you got Dragon Tattoo, you've got Zodiac, you've got Mind Hunter. I know I'm forgetting one. What else is there in this? Uh, that's. I mean, I guess Gone Girl has elements of yeah, that's of, true. It's a mystery at the very least. Of kind of like yeah, and and some some, you know, like un like mentally demented characters. Yeah, he's uh, really good at this. Uh yeah. So I didn't realize this until after I had watched it. I read an article. He he basically show ran the show. Like he he put this thing together. Wow. And um, ran the writer's room. I guess what had happened was he was developing it and he sent it to this, the, the guy who's credited as the creator. Mm-hmm. He's a playwright from England mm. who wrote the pilot and kind of like wrote like a five-year plan. and Like a series Bible for it or what? Exactly. And then the show got put on hold because they're like, the guy's name was Joe something. Uh-huh. They're like, Joe, you're going to have to come to L.A. And, and run the room. And he's like, perfect, that'd be great. But then it got delayed and, like, years went by and then the guy had kids. Mm. So when it came time to actually do it, he's like, you know, I am I can help, but I'm not, I can't, like, run the show. So Fincher was like, you know what, I got nothing going on. So <laughs> he, I mean, he directed four hours of yeah. it. Uh, the, the first two and the last two episodes of the of the first mm-hmm. season. And, man, his, his fingerprints are just everywhere on the show. And, like, not just... 
not just like his style, you know, like the, the slow camera moves. But it's not even the, slow. Like he's so kinetic at the same time. Yeah, I, I, I just like the way that he um, – the way he's, he moves slowly in when, when it needs to yeah. be. Like he, he's static, but like I, – I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like showing uh-huh. you. But, <laughs> but, but he'll, he'll be like – he'll have a close-up of a guy, mm-hmm. and you don't even notice that the camera's just kind of moving slowly just to keep you like yeah. un- unconsciously aware of – of that you're paying it like you're zoned in and you, you don't know why but um it's, it's just he he's so cool and like there's a scene i think it's in the ninth episode mm-hmm. when they're interviewing richard Speck. oh yeah spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen mindhunter and they uh it, it's you know it's like eight minutes just in a room three guys at a table and it reminded me of the social network mm-hmm. the way the way he chooses his cuts, but he's continually cutting from character to character, changing angles, right? Because he's making it exciting, right? And um, and it's just like you don't even you don't realize like how drawn in you are to three guys sitting in a, in a empty room at a table. Yeah. But he he's he's just like visually just like one of the masters of of creating tension with the camera. I I I just. Uh, tension with the camera and tension in scene too. I mean, just the, like holding a bird in your hand and how much suspense that builds. Oh yeah. Oh man. He is. Yeah. He's, he's performing at the top of his game here. And like, this is the prime Fincher format. I think like this is the vessel David Fincher needs for his career is, is Netflix. It makes me. It almost makes me sad. He he won't be as involved going forward because he has to make World War Z. Too. You know, I'm really excited for that. I get, I need to watch the movie, but no, I mean, I'm still like in the air. But I, I I heard that he's they're trying to crack it in a way to kind of make it a soft reboot kind of thing. That's what I've heard too, and I've heard they're trying to actually go back to the source material, which is Max Brooks's or like oral history novel. Um, which have you read the book? No. Uh, let me know if you want me to bring it out for either Thanksgiving or, um, Christmas to hand off to you. Cause it's a good read. Um, okay. but the whole book is basically, it's, it's the subtitles an oral history of the zombie apocalypse. So the whole thing is interviews, people recounting their experience of this, this zombie war basically. And that alone for a format, I'm like David Fincher. Because of exactly what you just said, people sitting across a table from one another and how interesting he can make those scenes. Um, but yeah, the World War Z is a movie I actually didn't have a ton of problems with because I think it's doing some really interesting things that people didn't expect with a zombie franchise, but it's still playing within the formula of, of a zombie genre. Um, but Fincher, if he can reboot this but not retcon it at the same time. I'd love to see that happen. And I think it's a genre that he can really thrive in also. If if not, a, I mean, the form maybe not, but the substance perhaps. You know that guy on uh, Twitter who's like in the industry, but he like operates a Twitter account that's kind of anonymous? Yeah, like yeah. Gabriel, Gabriel Gray. Gray, yeah. Do you see my convo with him the other no. day? He was, we were talking about World War Z, and he, he basically said that 
They're trying to find a way to keep Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. but like fix the, stay true to the book, mm. and then, but also not abandon the first movie completely. So I, yeah. I guess there's some conflict there of trying to like go back to where the book is because the first movie kind of abandoned some of those concepts. Oh. So, so right now they're trying to find a way to get the script in a good place. Oh, where they should call me. I, I know exactly them. how they can do it. Well, I'll, I'll tell them. Because, no, what they can do is – have you seen the movie or have you not – I haven't seen the movie. I haven't read the book. Okay. I just like Mindhunter. Um, the movie is the events of the war, basically. And if they treat the movie as like a prologue and they treat this sequel that Fincher's doing as the actual text of the book, that would give them the leeway to treat the, you know, the, the World War Z 2 is the, what the novel is, which is the oral history where he's going back and interviewing different people about their experiences in the war in these different places and world war Z, the first movie we got is just his experience so that the second movie can be the actual text of the book. You know what I mean? Hmm. Because the book is all looking back. It's all retrospective. Um, and that can be pit going around the world, interviewing people about what the war was in these different places. Like in Yonkers, New York is a huge part of the book. Brad Pitt's never in New York. I don't think except for the opening act. Um, and then going to Europe and going to Asia and going to South America and seeing how this epidemic affected different parts of the world and getting the retellings of that, that would that would work. But, I, again, I'm not here to sell scripts or ideas to Hollywood, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but I, I can see it happening, and I can see Fincher making it work really well. Do you think David Fincher's a serial killer? I would not be surprised if he's murdered someone and covered it up, and that's where all this fascination comes from. Because he has a he, he has uh, a very strong like there's a very strong pull towards those who get away with it in his features. Yeah, and I think he may be someone who's gotten away with it and is trying to tell us all that. Yeah, we're gonna look back, and every movie's gonna be like a Zodiac cipher. It's all a clue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, uh, I loved, what I loved about the show was just watching the the pilot, I think I had an idea of where it was going to go, and it didn't go to any of those places, and it never did, and like, you kind of get like a hint of like the BTK killer Mm -hmm. in the beginning, and I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be like the last four episodes are going to be all about this guy, and they just, nope, even in the season finale, they don't even open with him, but they close He's the tag, yeah. It's 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 incredible, like all these little things that he does that are so Fincher, like the can of cat food, mm-hmm. like just making you wonder. And like I've never felt so tense. And it's just Anna Torv taking a can of cat food and putting it on a windowsill. But like the tension in my stomach during those scenes. Well, and all there's always that waiting for the cat to hop up and eat the cat, the tuna, and it's and it never does. Spoiler: the cat never shows up. And it's that tension. That's exactly what you're talking about. Like, it builds something in you where you're like, okay, the cat's going to come eat the food. Nope. Nope. Because this is Mindhunter. This is David Fincher. Amen. Season two is not going to happen, is it? (laughs) Oh, it's been renewed. I just don't know when it's coming. I wonder who they're going to get to show run. Um, Like, I wonder who the second in command was on season one that might be up for it. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. He got right. Like, one of the writers I noticed, I recognized her name, Erin Levy. Mm. She wrote for Mad Men. Oh. She was, uh, yeah, she she won an Emmy for Mad Men, actually. Interesting. And I think that was the idea was to get some of these, like, real, um, like, gold star writers yeah. of, like, top notch. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe one of them kind of took the reins. But I, I hope he finds time to come and, like, do some direction. Yeah. But he's already laying out, like, his ideas for season two. So. That's awesome. Hopefully it's a, the be BTK hunt in the 70s. And, and Well, I guess they don't catch him till the late 80s, right? Early 90s? No, 2005. What? That I, late? I'm really... I don't know what their plan is with him because the the guy who wrote the book that they're basing this off of helped catch him, but it wasn't until 2005. Whoa. I didn't realize he was acting but, for 30 but, years. Well, he had, a, like, a lot of cooling off periods. Yeah. That, that lasted a long time because he like had a family mm-hmm. in between and then he became active again. Um, so I'm curious to see what they do with that. But he said they're doing the Atlanta child murders mm. from like 1980. Yeah. So, uh, which is, which is good because uh, the trap of serial killer movies and content is always the, we always just focus on like the pretty white girls who get killed yeah. and it's, 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 a recurring pattern. Yeah, it's a trope. Yeah. So, now we get to kind of look in on another community and, like, see what it was like for them to be terrorized. It's almost sadistic. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. On that note. Woodcock, baby. I don't know what I'm looking forward to more this year. Like, watching Blade Runner again or... Last Jedi or Woodcock or whatever else may happen. Like, we, there, there could be some bombshell. Like, award season is ramping up pretty soon. And I feel like we're going to get a, another Dark Horse that's going to come out and just be like, this is the movie everyone needs to see. You remember Moonlight? No one saw that coming. Um, yeah. I think uh, there's some movies uh, on my radar I can share. Did you see Battle of the Sexes yet, by the way? I did. How is it? It's okay. Okay. It's interesting to see where her and Gosling went after La La Land, and not that they, I mean, it I is. mean, I think they filmed Battle of the Sexes before, like before they even filmed La La Land. It seems like it was one that's in the can for a while. She um, she gave a really great performance, and so did Carell. I, my issues with it were just more of, um, I guess, the maybe like some of the tone and some of the, um, I guess, just like the structural mm-hmm. layout. The film was a little weird sometimes, and it just had a kind of a celebratory spirit, which I think kind of undermined maybe what they were trying to do. Okay. Like, they leaned in a little too hard to kind of like some like fist-pumpy moments for people where they could have told more of an earnest story. I don't know. It was good. I'd recommend people check it out, when it, you know, but... yeah. Uh, the Shape of Water, the new Guillermo del Toro is coming out. Mm, um, yeah. Uh, what else is coming out? Uh, I want to see Downsizing, the new Alexander Payne movie. I haven't heard of it, I don't think. Oh, maybe I saw a trailer, actually, before something. It played before Mother on my... Maybe that's what I, I saw. saw Who's in it? Uh, Matt Damon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I did see that. Well, there's... Uh, hmm. 
Movies suck. Oh, there's, um, <laughs> I think that new Ridley Scott movie looks really interesting. He did another one this All year? All the Money in the World? Yeah. After Alien, he did a second movie this year? Yeah, he put it together real fast. It's called All the Money in the World. It's about that. It's a true story oh, about this guy. Oh, Wahlberg and Spacey? kidnapped. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. Mm. He's got a lot of buzz. Um, the Papers, new Spielberg this year. We're getting a new Spielberg movie, man. Well, we're getting Ready Player One this year, too. No, that's next year. Keep up. Really? Yeah. The Papers is a Spielberg movie from this year? I don't even see that coming up. Did you Google The Papers? Yeah. Oh, let me just go to Spielberg. I'm in IMDb right now because you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for my boy Bennett Miller to come back. And, like, he could kill Mindhunter Season 2, if you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, he could. Um, The Post, you mean? Oh, yeah, they renamed it. It was called The Papers because it, it was about the Pentagon Papers. Oh, Tom Hanks? Yeah, dude. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Let's do it. I think it's a Christmas Day movie. Yeah. Which it's too busy that day. Damn, he can really get a cast together. Allison Brie, Tom Hanks, Sarah Paulson, Streep, uh, David Cross, Jesse Plemons. Yeah, he's 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 got something here. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of good buzz on it right now. And... um. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I think it's limited December 22nd. Mm. Um, and then the, that Molly's Game comes out, which I'm actually quite excited about. What's uh, Aaron Sorkin's directorial Oh, that's right, yeah. About the, the high-stakes poker games. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Chastain, who's a favorite of mine. Yep. Um, I'm looking forward to that. So this, it's going to be a busy a year I don't like it I just want to focus on Star Wars and I know I might not even see these movies till January because we have so much else that our minds are going to be occupied with Um, I mean as soon as you see Star Wars you're going to you're going to talk about it for a hundred days and then you're going to speculate what nine's going to be yeah and then you have to see Phantom Thread and then you're like holy shit I should go see that again because I got a lot to unpack yeah and next thing you know, it's March, and you're like, I guess I better catch up on these Oscar movies. Next thing you know, it's March, and Last Jedi is about to be out on Blu-ray, so I have to go uh, reconfigure my brain for that. Um, you'll be here because I, South by Southwest is happening. Um, I, I remember during The Force <laughs> Awakens, I had to like take a break and just go see Hateful Eight. Yeah. And like, really on, like, on get Christmas out of Day. Star Wars headspace. Same. And then... And then experience the hateful eight and then sit with that and then i remember like getting home and someone asked me about star wars i was like i can't talk about star wars right now yeah and then the next day i saw you know maybe that's why hateful eight didn't work for me that well is because i was in such a star wars brain space for so long after force awakens and leading up to force awakens i think you're right and that that's why i'm kind of nervous about about phantom thread yeah like just having to kind of yeah, like I'll probably have to like watch. I'm seeing The Last Jedi on Christmas mm-hmm. Eve, and I'm probably going to see Phantom Thread the very next day. So I have to like come home and like just watch There Will Be Blood. Yeah, to, on to, to decompress. Eve, to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or watch Inherent Vice again. I know you just watched it, but uh, yeah, I put on Punch Drunk Love last night too. Yeah, and you were texting me Magnolia quotes uh, before we started recording. So oh yeah, I watched Magnolia this week, and I watched Boogie Nights. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> 
I watched Boogie Nights with the commentary. Hey, it was really hey, good. Hey, do you have Heart 8? I don't. I have a MP4. Okay. I mean, I don't want to out us as, as you know, digital content sharers, but if you want to Dropbox that to me. I've only seen that once, and it was like before me there too. will be blood. <laughs> yeah, I'll send it to you. I think that – I think Criterion's got to put that out eventually. We've been waiting on that since we've been doing this podcast. Uh, and they're, they're sleeping an on interview. it. I found an interview where they asked him about that. He was either promoting Inherent Vice or the, or the, or the master, master, yeah. He says he wants to get it done and he wants to do it sooner than later. And that, you know, so that's either three years ago or five years ago. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Um, Can I just tell the story real quick about my Heim concert? You better. Oh my. And then talk about nostalgia. Oh, yeah, I don't know. But uh, so he's been working with, with the Heim sisters. He shot what we talked about. Uh, in July, that kind of short film, mm-hmm. that live to tape thing that they shot in the studio, and then he shot a music video for them that came out uh, in September, mm-hmm. I think, or early October. So then, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the band, and they were playing at the Greek, so I bought tickets, and I, I think I even texted you. I was like, how crazy would it be if you just went full Demi? And shot this concert film. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, that'd be fucking cool. But, you know, who knows? So then we get there. And, like, during the second or third song, I just see, like, a big-ass camera, like, right in the front row. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, Casey, that's a, that's like a, that's a real camera. Like, that's a 35-millimeter camera. She's like, okay. I was like, if they were going to get someone to film this concert, mm-hmm. they would just shoot it. Digitally, they'd, they'd use the footage from like, because they had the big screen. Yeah, like, yeah. And they could they could shoot this much easier. But the only reason there would be a big camera like that is if, if PTA was here filming. Mm-hmm. So then from there on, I was just like keeping my eye out. And eventually I pinpointed him and he was working one of the cameras himself. Was it possible um, for you to enjoy the actual show uh, being so distracted by Paul in the front row? I honestly think... <laughs> as dumb as it sounds, I think I enjoyed the show a little less because my mind was like, "Yeah," because you're I, like, "Oh, that angle's I gonna guess. be so good. The lighting is so perfect on that <laughs> shot." <laughs> it was a great concert, and I hope everyone gets to see it eventually yeah. on Blu-ray or something. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was really cool, man. Like, I noticed hit the camera he was using it was frequently being worked on that kept bringing it to the side so i think it was getting issues and he said as much later um when i kind of ran into him they were running into a lot of problems mm. um so then after the show you know everyone's leaving because like when we left that talking heads thing like the obviously almost everybody who was there was there in some reason because of yeah him. you know i'm sure they're talking heads fans who don't care about him but I think a lot of people were like us and just showed up because he was going to Yeah, play. and because they were debuting for, or, or showing for the second time uh, Blue Valentine. So, Or not Blue Valentine. Yeah. It's just called Valentine. Just Valentine. <laughs> blue, it's very blue. Blue Valentine's very different. It is very blue, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Which reminded me of that shot in the Phantom Thread trailer where he gives a little smooth. Mm-hmm. Very, very, yeah. um, anyway, uh, so there's not like a big overlap, I don't think, of like diehard PTA fans and then just your run of the mill Heim fans. Yeah. So everyone's just like 
bailing on the show, and he's standing up there with some of his crew, and I see, like, his, his whole family's there, his kids are there, Maya's wow. there. And so, yeah, I I walk up, and it's me and one other dude, and that dude's wearing a Pearl Jam shirt. Uh-huh. He, he was just me. Like, there were just two <laughs> me's down there. And his girlfriend was standing where Casey was standing, and Casey's like, so is this where the, the girlfriends stand while their boyfriends talk to Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> um, so I'm, like, kind of standing next to this dude in the Pearl Jam shirt, and he's talking to Paul, uh, and then I kind of just go up to him, and I shake his hand, and I tell him I'm a big fan, and he's... He was he was really nice. He was really in, like he was working obviously. Mm-hmm. Like he had tons of shit to do and his family's yeah. in wearing um, many hats. But, yeah, but he he was very nice and he just uh he just he's like it's really nice to meet you and I don't know. It was it was a cool moment and uh I didn't feel as like lame or bad just because I was one of two people mm-hmm. instead of like remember he just got bum rushed. Oh like, yeah, after uh like, talking This guy's like got his arm around him and he's like he's like this this for me is like when you met Robert Altman for the first time. I'm sure he was just like, God, I just want to get out of here. <laughs> um but I'm I'm really I, I hope he got enough to put out a a, a full concert film. Yeah, that would be that, that, that would be dope. I I'm in a Paul Thomas Harrison movie. Yeah, or you were at least there when he filmed it. You were on the set. Yeah, it was, yeah. So anyway, that was uh, that was cool. That um, sounds incredible. I'm I'm jealous. It, it upstaged our, our Santa Monica day for sure. I think, but uh, I'll I'll live with it. Yeah, take that, Judson. <laughs> I still have a fridge magnet at least. So, well, if it comes out, we can uh, talk about it on the show. Yeah, we should talk about Valentine at some point. Um, it's cool. Well, it's out now. I know, yeah. You can just go watch it. I, I never really want to, but I think at some point we're going to do a, a PTA retrospective, and that's going to be a big point for me, is like these music video years between uh, uh, yeah, everything he's done since Blood, basically, and all the music videos he's filmed in between for... Uh, what's, in, what's his name? Uh, yeah, guy. yeah, Radiohead. And... Uh, what was her name? Who's his girlfriend? Fiona. Fiona Apple. Apple yeah, and now um, doing this stuff with Heim. Uh, there's a really interesting part of PTA's career here that we're we're going to need to dissect at some point, but not today. Yeah, and I lo- he's obviously someone who's like, I think his like legacy or whatever is like on his mm-hmm. mind, but it's not so so much that he won't like. Go shoot a fun, <laughs> like almost rodeo style music video with the Heim sisters. Yeah, like it's cool. He's 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 Ooh. the best. I love him so much. Hi, Paul. If you're listening, <laughs> all right. I think that I think that wraps us up pretty well. We're at, we're at over ninety minutes. The people have got what they wanted. They got a messy mishmash recap slash looking forward slash. Just the- Fuzzy brain analysis of Blade Runner. Yeah, they got some good coffee sips in this episode. Um, they got some loud laughs. They got some claps. Uh, and, you know, most of all, they got snark. They they got us uh, talking trash on fandoms we're both a part of and not a part of um, mm-hmm. so that we can be both at once uh, endearing and alienating. Um, 
collectivist and elitist all at once here. That's what we're doing here at, at another Woodcock podcast or another Phantom Thread podcast. That, that works better with the acronym. Probably. Good night and good luck, y'all. This has been another episode. Catch us in November when we talk about Thor Ragnarok and Justice League Ragnarok. <laughs> and out. <laughs>